Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. And the title of the talk is, Are We There Yet? I want to talk about the halfway point. Uh, read this story here. It's about uh, when the uh, house of Judah, the children of Israel, after they were captive in Babylon and Assyria, that uh, the Lord had promised that after 70 years that they would be returned to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had razed everything to the ground. It was burnt to the ground. Uh, the walls were destroyed. So there was nothing really left. And the story of Nehemiah and the story of Ezra is about the rebuilding and how that uh, the king of Assyria allowed them to go back, as the Lord prophesied uh, would happen, and uh, to rebuild Jerusalem. So one of the first things, of course, that they did was they built the wall uh, because there were people around in that area who were not uh, very happy about the fact that they were rebuilding Jerusalem. So in verse 1 it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indig indignation and mocked the Jews. So we read here about a few of the people, uh, Samaritans and other people in the area, uh, when they realised that uh, Jerusalem was being rebuilt by the, the people of Judah, they were not happy. So he was very angry and he began to mock them. And uh, he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? So this was a major job, of course. You read the whole story and it talks about the rebuilding of the wall and the rebuilding of all the uh, vast number of uh, gates all the way around it. And it was a huge job. And as it says there, there was just nothing but heaps of burned rubbish. And uh, so they begin to mock and they begin to sort of think, oh, they'll never do it. You know, this is too big a thing. There's, uh, there's not that many of them. Um, there were uh, quite a number of them, but I suppose comparatively so. It didn't seem that way. And in verse 3 it says, Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down this stone wall. And uh, so, you know, there was a lot of mocking and there was a lot of, at this stage, they were angry about the thought, but they weren't really worried about it. They, uh, they were just uh, ridiculing the efforts and they thought it would all come to, come to nothing or fall apart. In verse 4, uh, we see Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. So it goes, as I say, elsewhere it describes the great uh, efforts and the number of people and families that all went together and built up various parts of the wall. But the point that it makes here in verse 6, where it says the, all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, what it means is that it got to halfway height. So they began to repair the wall and repair all the, the gaps, and uh, they got it halfway. So at this stage, um, they've demonstrated that they are actually going ahead and they are rebuilding the wall. When you get to this halfway point, um, it's, it demonstrates that it's, it's not all going to just disappear and overnight and it's, it's not... Uh, just a, a bit of a fad or an idea or, or something like that, but they've actually put in a huge amount of effort and they have got it to the halfway point. And in verse 7 we see that changes things. 
And it says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. So to this point they realise, hang on, this is actually happening. And it's getting to the point now where, you know, with the walls at halfway, uh, if they get any bigger, it's going to be difficult to stop them. Because once you get a wall built around your city and it's, it's got the bars and the gates and the doors all set up, well, then they can go on building inside a lot more, uh, in a lot more safety, of course. And so they got very angry in verse 8, it says, and they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. So they were, they were fighting with uh, uh, not in the building. So anybody that's done any building on a large scale will know it creates a lot of rubbish. And every now and again, you've got to clear away the rubbish because you, you can't build until you get rid of um, the rubbish that you've already made. And so that was hindering them. And in verse 11 it says, And our adversaries said, uh, They shall not know and neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. So the enemies were round about and they were ready to come in. And it came to pass that when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, From all places whence ye shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So those who were outside the city. So they're getting complaints. They're getting, in a sense, uh, not complaints, but they're getting um, discouragement from all sides here. There's people complaining about the fact that the, uh, you know, the strength of the people has decayed and it's, we're at this, this point now. We've done a huge amount of work. Everybody's tired. Everybody's weary. Uh, there is a lot of rubbish there. We can't seem to, to build. We've got to get rid of this rubbish first. The enemies are sort of pressing in and seeing this is their chance or this is maybe their only chance if they don't take it now. And they're thinking they might be able to uh, they might be able to attack while they're weak, and um, the other Jews which are dwelling around about the area are constantly saying to them, "Look, whatever you do, you know, from all places they're going to be they're going to be on you. You can't you can't defend the wall. You're not going to be able to uh, uh, to finish this work." So a lot of discouragement there, and a lot of um, a lot of that that sort of point that you often get to when you're halfway doing something. So if you're running a, a race or something, not that I've done uh, many marathons, haven't done any marathons, um, I don't think I've even done a half marathon. Uh, but anyway, I have done some running, but you, you get to a, a point, and when you know that you're halfway, you realise you're tired from the first half. And you also realise that um, the amount of effort it took you to get to that half, and you realise you've got another half to go. And it's sort of at that point, you know, you're not near the end, which sort of inspires you to keep going, and you're not near the start where you're feeling fresh and, you know, I can do a million miles and, and no problem sort of thing. But you're sort of halfway and you think, all that I've gone through already, I have to go through all that again. And um, that's often, you know, the point in things where you maybe are feeling like giving up and there's, again, a lot of encouragement to do so and discouragement to continue. And so anyway, Nehemiah in verse 13, it says, Therefore set I in the lower places, behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be, ye not, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren 
your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. So they realise this is coming to the crux where they are in the greatest danger. Now once the wall gets built up higher than halfway and starts becoming completed, they're in a a relative period uh, or situation of more safety then because it will be it will be harder for the um, uh, for the enemy to actually scale the walls and to uh, and to uh, overrun the place of course that's what the wall is all about and so this is the time of greatest danger for them and uh, so uh, Nehemiah is encouraging them to remember the Lord not to be afraid of these people to recognise it was the Lord who said that they would rebuild Jerusalem and uh, these things were the fulfilment of prophecy which they, they knew about there and to remind them to fight for one another and for their family. So this is real, you know, he's trying to stir them up there to recognise this is a fight for your life, this is a fight for your family's life, this is something you can't quit halfway. You've got to continue on. And uh, in verse 15, it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone to his work. So for a while there, they were pretty much, uh, they set themselves in array upon the wall. And when the enemy was sort of building up his forces and he, he realised that the, the plan was known, he realised they were forearmed and prepared. And so, again, that, that sort of brings them to the point they think, well, do we do it or do we not? Do we attack or do we not? And they looked at that and it was it was very sort of on the edge stuff. You know, this was their best opportunity, but they'd sort of lost the um, the, the element of surprise there and uh, now it could be very costly for them to attack. They might win and they might not, uh, but usually these people um, tended to be cowards and um, are the sort of people that do these things and... Uh, they were quite happy to attack when it was a, a clear win, but maybe not so when they weren't sure. And in verse 16 it says, And it came to pass from that time forth that half of my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the habergeons, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. And so they continued on building the wall, and uh, they had uh, uh, people sort of holding a, a hammer in one hand and, and a, a spear or a sword in the other. And uh, they literally were working and uh, ready to fight at the same time. So it was a pretty dicey time and very difficult time. And again, I'm just sort of thinking, you know, that we can all get to that point at times where, like the children in the car, um, we're only part way on the big journey and we're, we're constantly asking, are we there yet? You know, uh, how much longer do we have to go? You know, it's not, um, uh, it's, and it starts getting a bit, uh, feelings a bit tedious. But um, it is at times like that where, uh, again, as they say, the, uh, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Um, I always thought that that meant uh, when I was younger, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I thought that meant the tough run away. Um, but no, it actually means the tough get into it and they, um, um, they uh, pick up the task. Um, let's go to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It's one verse here. Uh, if you read and if we get the chance to, we might read it a bit later, but the previous verses here are actually talking about um, the children of Israel coming through the wilderness and we're going to be talking about them in a moment. So it's in the context of what we're about to lead into. Uh, but in verse 13 it says, There hath no temptation or no trial 
taken you, but such is as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tried or tempted above that that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So and the Apostle Paul is just saying here, look, you're not going through any trial uh, that isn't something which is fairly common to human beings. And, uh, and he's also saying that it's not something which is beyond the strength of, uh, of human beings. And uh, he's saying, but God is faithful and he will bring you through. And again, like Nehemiah, he had to remind them, look, God has set us to this task. He will not leave us. He will protect us. Uh, they had to put the effort in. They had to be ready and prepared. They had to hold their sword at their side and all the rest of it. But the Lord was the one who was going to see this work completed according to his word. And uh, the Apostle Paul is just saying, look, you will go through trials at times, but just remember that all people go through trials. And he was saying, you know, the sort of stuff that you, you go through when you go through a difficult time and you sort of think, well, I've, you know, do I press on or don't I? It's really the sort of thing that's common to all mankind. If you think about all the things that people like to do, we've got students, we've got uh, athletes, sportsmen, explorers, uh, even parents bringing up children, uh, workers in all sorts of uh, careers, writers, soldiers, lots of different people you can think of who are trying to learn something. You know, if you go through university and you go through your first year or halfway through the, the whole process, you're absolutely exhausted and uh, then you want, you know, you're sort of thinking, do I continue on with this? Do I really want to do this or do I want to just go and get a job and get some money and, and you know, go that way? Um, or if you're working at a job or if you're a writer or something, you get halfway through a novel and you're getting, you know, it's all very difficult and it's not coming together and you're sort of thinking, do I press on or, or do I not? It's the common sort of thing. Again, explorers, you know, uh, traveling and they think, do I turn back or do I, do I try to cross the continent? And, you know, I've sort of gotten halfway, but it's, it's very, very hard. Well, everybody goes through these things, but again, sorts of trials that the Lord will put us through. He says he will not put us through things which are above our strength. So we have the ability, and the Lord is saying, that with all the things that are necessary uh, for us to work through and to overcome, they are things that are within our strength. And um, so, again, we, uh, we need to trust the Lord and recognize that, uh, you know, to get there to the destination at times, there is a bit of hard work that's involved, and we should not faint, but we should uh, continue on. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 24, just um, <clears throat> Paul says here, for we are saved by hope or expectation, uh, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So if you, you're looking forward to something, uh, it's because it's not there yet. And uh, you have that hope and that expectation of something that is to come. Uh, but if it was with you, then you wouldn't be looking forward. You wouldn't be expecting it because it wouldn't be in the future. It would be there in the present. So he says in verse 25, But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience or endurance wait for it. So we have a hope. And in, in most of these endeavors and in these stories in the Bible, um, there is a hope, there is an expectation, but there is a long period in between where you have to get through and uh, you're asking yourself, are we, are we there yet? Am I there yet? You know, is it over yet? Do I, do I still have to continue yet? But the Lord says that we must, with endurance, wait for it. He says we have a hope, we have a sure expectation ahead of us, we have a promise ahead of us 
but we must continue on to receive. The Bible is very, very strong in the New Testament particularly, and right through all the stories there in the Old as well. But in the New Testament it says we must overcome. And uh, if there was nothing to overcome, then it would all be easy. You know, we'd have the promise, we'd have the, uh, the reward, it would all be done. Uh, but the Lord is saying, no, there is, it is set before us. He's told us what's going to happen. He's told us what the destination is. He's told us the wonderful things that we're going to obtain. But we must overcome. We must continue walking. And uh, like any, uh, you know, if you go for a walk, you go for a tramp or something, uh, particularly in somewhere like New Zealand, um, you know, it's not all a walk in the, in the park sort of thing. It's not uh, just on a nice paved way and all the rest of it. You've got to cross rivers. You've got to climb mountains. You can go through passes. You've got uh, cold weather. You've got snow. You've got uh, heat. You've got all sorts of things. You've got lots of sand flies biting you in New Zealand and other things. Um, and if you're in other parts of the world, you might have to watch out for grizzly bears or um, you know, all sorts of things that are out there. Um, if you're in the Australian bush, well, again, you've got snakes and other things. It's not easy, uh, but if you want to uh, accomplish and get to your destination, you've got to press on. We'll go back to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 14. When the children of Israel were led out of Egypt and, uh, you know, there were amazing miracles that were done there and they were released from their slavery and they were under slavery and under hard bondage, it, it describes there. And they were released from these things. They went through the Red Sea and God destroyed the power of Egypt's army that was chasing them. And all of these are amazing things. It was a great, great, uh, amazing time to live and to recognize that God was on their side. He was directing them and he had the pillar of fire before them and leading them there uh, to the promised land. And he had told them that they were going to go back to the land of their inheritance uh, which had been promised to Abraham, and it was a land, it says, flowing with milk and honey. So this was everything they wanted. It was safety. It was a place of their own. They weren't under uh, hard taskmasters or anything else. They would be their own people. They would have their own kingdom, so to speak, and uh, they would be provided with cities that they had not built and vineyards that uh, they had not planted. And, uh, you know, they would uh, be provided with cattle and all sorts of things, from the previous inhabitants that the Lord was driving out because of their wickedness. So it was, uh, it was going to be an amazing uh, thing to be looking forward to. But in the meantime, they had to go through the wilderness and they went through it for a long time, mainly because of their unbelief. If they hadn't been unbelieving to start with, they could have got there in just a matter of days, really, weeks, months, um, and that's how it was. But when they came to the very edge of it, they... They did not enter in for unbelief. And so they wandered the wilderness for 40 years. But eventually the Lord brought them back in and they crossed into the promised land. So verse 14, while they were in the wilderness, they needed food, of course. There were a lot of them and they needed water. And we said that the Lord provided miraculously uh, bread and water. The bread was this um, strange stuff, uh, which was obviously very miraculous, and it was called manna. And verse 14, it says, When the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. Uh, and Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. 
and it's so it's, they call it manner. I think manner means, if I remember correctly, um, it means what is it. So they said, what is it? And that's what it got called. Um, <clears throat> so they went out. They didn't know what it was. Um, so for 40 years, they they were provided with this every day or six days a week, um, and uh, it was freely available to them. Down in verse 31, see further mention of it there, and uh, it talks about in the, in the other verses there, we just skipped over about uh, how they collected it every day. They didn't collect it on the seventh day. And it wasn't there on the seventh day, but uh, six, on the sixth day they collected twice as much. And anyway, they, they had to obey the Lord's commandments and these things, and they had some trouble doing so uh, because of their unbelief to begin with. But in verse 31 we read, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. So it was quite a pleasant thing and uh, something a bit different to your normal bread. Um, and uh, again, like nothing else they had seen or had before, but uh, it had this taste like wafers made with honey. So that sounds pretty good. And Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commandeth, fill an omer of it uh, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. So uh, they were to remember this thing, and uh, it was uh, something that lasted for the next 40 years. And the scripture tells us that on the, the year that they actually entered into the promised land eventually, that in uh, when they entered into the promised land, the manna stopped, and they uh, began to eat the fruit that was in the harvest or that was still in the fields um, from the previous harvest. And uh, that's when they started to uh, uh, to. Yeah, harvest their own food and and uh, and grow their own stuff, and uh, it, that's how it uh, how it finished. But for forty years, the Lord had sustained them with this particular uh, bread from heaven. Um, <clears throat> in verse thirty-five, down bottom there, it says, "And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came to the borders." of the land of Canaan. So that was, uh, again, just uh, quite an amazing miracle that the Lord's uh, provided and sustained them. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to manufacture it. It just said they just had to go out and collect it. And uh, it says that uh, they collected as much as they wanted to eat. So it was there was always plenty of it there. It just was up to them how much they actually uh, collected. Those that ate more, uh, they collected more, and they were able to eat more. So that was the case right up until they entered into the land of Canaan. Uh, Numbers chapter 11. Now the Lord also, and I'm not looking at that story tonight, but the Lord also um, gave them water in the wilderness and the water came out of the rock in a couple of places there and the Lord provided them, this great multitude of people, with water and with this bread and on occasion with things like uh, uh, quails as well for flesh. But... Um, you know, when you're in the in the desert and you you get this something like this, and you get water or you get uh, you get food, then that is that is a great rejoicing. You know, that's saving your life, and that's something to be jumping up and down about, to be very excited about, particularly when it's nice and sweet and tastes like wafers made with honey, etc. Um, but we see that it didn't take too long. Uh, human nature is such that it tends to uh, 
he doesn't like sameness very much for very long. And they began to be upset with this uh, wonderful bread they had received. So down in verse 4, Numbers 11, it says, And the mixed multitude that was among them, this is referring particularly to the, when they left Egypt, there were people from other slaves and other people who came along with them and uh, were sort of in the, in the group. It says, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also uh, wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the, the onions and the garlic. And so they began to think about the things that they used to have in Egypt. And of course, they're totally forgetting all the bad side of things here, the fact that they were crying out to God because they were under hard and cruel bondage and everything else. And they've sort of let that slip out of their minds. And all they can remember now is all these wonderful, uh, what they think at this time is wonderful foods, mainly because they probably didn't appreciate them at the time and probably thought that was, uh, you know, second-grade stuff. But... Um, after you've been eating manna for many years, uh, maybe they just wanted a different taste. And in verse 6 it says, they got to the point they said, but now our soul is dried away and there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So they began to, they certainly didn't appreciate this. This was saving their life that they sort of forgot that. And uh, they're talking about their soul as being dried away and there's nothing at all. Only this manner, sort of like saying there's nothing at all. You know, it's like being in the desert and, and uh, there's no civilization around for anywhere and you're under the hot sun and you're saying there's nothing all, all to drink except this, this water, you know. You think about that, that water is saving your life and it's the only thing that stands between you and death, but they totally lost sight of, um, of what it was that they had here. And they didn't appreciate it. And uh, that's, that's pretty much human nature. Um, we'll read on. Verse 7, it says, And the manna was coriander seed, and the colour thereof was the colour of delium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And uh, so, again, it sort of sounds like it tastes quite nice. They tried all sorts of things. They baked it. They ground it. They... They beat it. They um, they probably tried all the different recipes they possibly could, but in the end it was the same stuff, and they didn't like that. And it says, And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. And then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly uh, was kindled greatly, and Moses also was displeased. So they were upset because they only had this manna. And again, it's sort of a case of uh, losing sight of, of what you really have and not counting your blessings. And um, they became discontent with what they had. It was a wonderful thing, saving their life, and it was pleasant. And um, yet, of course, eventually they, they wanted more. God had given them what they needed, and no doubt it was very nourishing because it kept them going for 40 years, but it was not what they wanted. It wasn't all that they wanted. It might have been to start with, they might have all been very excited about it when it first started, but it didn't take long before they got a little bit sick of it. And we see that the Lord was very angry about that, and rightly so, because they, they lost their perspective on it. And uh, I just think with what's happening in the world at the moment, we see, you know, 
around the world, it's just a mess. You're reading the news and the, we've got a very disgruntled world on all sides. You know, it, 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 in every direction that you look, in every uh, political sphere or whatever, everybody is disgruntled. Everybody is upset. Everybody wants more. Everybody doesn't appreciate what they have. And you sort of think, well, some of these people that are complaining and getting very upset, maybe forget that in other parts of the world, they don't have the incredible privilege um, that, you know, again, some people do in, in these parts of the world where all the upset is. And um, again, we just, it's human nature that we, we sort of look at the things that we don't have that we want and uh, we end up going out and looting places so that we can get what we want because we don't think it's fair. Well, again, God's not very impressed with all of that. Let's have a look in uh, Numbers 21. So again, when you think about the fact they said, you know, our soul is dried away and we have nothing at all uh, but this manna uh, which is in front of our eyes. And uh, when you think about that statement, we have nothing at all, you think about what they had, they had God's promise of their own land ahead of them, which was going to be flowing with milk and honey, which would be a place of safety for them, um, where they could be independent. Again, as I say, it would have its own city, it would come furnished with pre-built cities, vineyards, cattle. Um, they had the present provision of the Lord, they had life-giving water, they had free bread, they were sustained with their clothing, as the scripture says. And uh, they had the promise of healing among them. as one of the big things the Lord said that he looked after them in the wilderness there. And they had the direction of God in their lives. You know, they had the pillar of fire leading them in the right way. They knew that God was with them. And they just lost sight of all of those things. When you think about our situation, we might go through some difficult times in our life, and we will, but uh, we have the present provision of the Lord. We have his guidance uh, we have his word, we have his spirit, and we have the promise of future glory. You know, we have uh, uh, all the, the wonderful inheritance before us. Again, we've got to be very, very careful that we don't start to look at the hardness of the way and uh, start complaining about the trip. Um, Numbers 21 and verse 4 says there, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass the land uh, of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Again, they didn't like the way they were going, and they wondered why they had to go that way. Well, it really was because of their own unbelief in, in the beginning there, um, but they were being led of the Lord. And it says, And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. So they'd gotten to the point, they got discontented, they were looking at other things, they were hoping for more, they were looking for things they wanted rather than what they needed. And with that discontent, eventually it developed into a situation where they loathed the very bread that was saving their life and keeping them from death. And again, that's the great danger, I believe, you know, when people go that way, uh, that nothing in the end will satisfy them. And they actually end up hating the very thing that they are very privileged to have. And uh, so, again, uh, it's not the, not the way we want to go. In the um, book of Proverbs, um, well, verse 6 there, it says, The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Again, God wasn't very happy with their attitude. 
Um, in Proverbs 27, it says, The full soul loatheth an honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. And again, they had this, you know, they, they had this stuff that tasted like wafers made with honey, and they were full, but they loathed it. You know, they got to that point, they really despised it and didn't appreciate it. But as the Lord says, look, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. If the Lord had taken away from them that food, any food there in the wilderness for a couple of weeks, you can be sure they would have been very excited about seeing the manna come back. Um, And again, it's a case of us appreciating what the Lord has done for us. He's given us what we need. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, we see here one of the reasons why the Lord did these things this way. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. It says, and thou shalt remember all the way, this is when they are coming into their own land, um, or as the Lord has given them the, the law there, he said, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So that was the purpose in, uh, you know, they they demonstrated unbelief, so he tested them. And he said, I want to see what's really in your heart. You really want to follow me or are you just looking for, you know, the, uh, the pleasures and the delights? And he said, I will allow you to hunger. But he never allowed them to, to um, of course, die of that hunger. He allowed them to go through some difficult and hard times. But he said, I want to see whether you really love me and whether you're looking to follow my word. And as he said there, Jesus Christ used this, he quoted this scripture uh, when the devil said to him after he had fasted for 40 days, um, the devil said, make, make these stones into bread. And he said, uh, it is written that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And he knew that the important thing was the word of God. That's what we have to rejoice in. That's what we have. That's the prize. And all these other things which we might uh, like, um, well, again, the Lord is going to provide our needs, but he's not going to give us everything that we uh, want, so to speak. Um, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. So the interesting thing is, as, uh, as it was said in one of the passages that we read there, the Lord has not led us into the wilderness to perish. He didn't lead them into the wilderness to perish. Uh, That was the complaint that they raised a number of times. They thought, why has God led us here? Has he led us here to perish? He hasn't led us into difficulty or hardship uh, to perish, but again, to to help us to grow and to teach us and to guide us in his ways. and again, under the, the Old Testament there, we had the, uh, uh, they had the manna and they had the water. In the New Testament, it talks about these things as representing the word of God, the living bread of the word and the living water of the spirit. So what they were sustained with in the wilderness on their walk through to the promised land was the word of God and the spirit of God. That's what it represented. So what we have today, if we appreciate that, you know, we have the word of God. Now, some people sometimes, you get the, we've got the Bible. It's an incredible privilege to have the Bible and to have this book and to be able to read it and see in hindsight all that God has done. And uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We've received the Holy Spirit and we, we have this wonderful gift of speaking in tongues. We can uh, pray to the Lord in. We can have an assurance that God is with us. And again, though, after time, you often find that a lot of people get 
get, um, if you like, discontent with the sound doctrine of the word. And after a while, they start wanting something else. They want a spiritual, different spiritual blessing or they want to go off after some uh, emotional sort of experience or whatever. The word is not enough. They come to sort of think, oh, I want more than that. I want, you know, the leeks and the garlics and the onions and I want uh, all sorts of emotional highs every day. And if they don't get an emotional high every day and they're not sort of lost in, uh, you know, some airy-fairy, um, worshipy sort of wonderful feeling every day, they start to think, well, what's gone wrong? Um, well, nothing's gone wrong. You've got the Word. You've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. And you've got the promise of eternal life. And uh, in the meantime, as we wander through the wilderness of this life, we carry on. We keep pushing forward. We know we're going to get there. Hebrews 6 and verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gifts and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And that's, in a sense, what they tasted. They had the manna. They tasted the heavenly bread. They tasted the word of God. We have tasted of the word of God, and it is a bit of an indication of the powers of the world to come. And again, it says that man did eat angels' food. Um, That's what the scripture describes manna as being. And uh, so they had a bit of a taste of heavenly food. We have a taste of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. So what we're going through at the moment, uh, we've had a bit of a taste, uh, but we will ultimately um, ultimately uh, get the, the full uh, full understanding of these things when the Lord returns. All right, better finish. Um, we'll go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. I might as well read from verse 1 because it's all in context. So moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea or in the pillar of fire and in the sea. They went through a baptism of water and a baptism of fire as they went through the Red Sea at night and did all eat the same spiritual meats and did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So again, it refers to the manna. Uh, and the uh, and the drink of the water as uh, again referring to the word of God and the spirit of God. In verse five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Uh, neither be ye idolaters as, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. You remember we read about that in their discontent. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition or warning, upon whom the ends of the world are come. So uh, these things are supposed to be examples to us. We're supposed to take note of the fact that they were disgruntled with with what they had, with their lot, and uh, they didn't like the way they had to go, and uh, they didn't like the hardship. But again, the Lord says, I want you to take notice of these things, recognize that they were destroyed for these attitudes. So in verse 12 we said, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So be, be careful. Be wary. Make sure your attitude is is one of rejoicing and and just praising the Lord for what we have, being grateful and being thankful. 
And again in verse 13, as we read earlier, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is, as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation or trial also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So whatever we go through, it is it has been adjusted to to our strength. We are not going to be overtaxed by something that is too hard for us. The Lord will make a way out of it if that is the case. Um, he will uh, not take us through something. He protects us. He will not take us through something which is too hard for us. So we have the power to overcome. We've been given the spirit. We've been given the word. We focus on them. Uh, we are grateful for those things and everything else will fall into place. So Luke 13, just to finish, Luke 13 and verse 23 so again, just like a walk or a tramp or something, you have a destination in mind. You might have to cross a few mountains. You might have to go through a few rivers. You might have to go through some cold or some hunger or whatever. Um, things might not always go quite right. So the shoes might uh, get a hole in them or, or whatever it might be. And you'll find yourself at times on that walk that you're breathing pretty heavy. You know, there'll be sometimes it'll be a nice stroll. It'll be very pleasant and the sun will be out and all the rest of it. Other times you'd be on a very slippery slope and um, you know there'd be rocks falling down around you and you'll, you'll find yourself breathing hard. But uh, the important thing is that we overcome, we continue on and we finish. We finish the wall just as they began to build and got halfway. So here in Luke 13, verse 23, Jesus just said here, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate or the narrow constricted gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know not uh, whence you are. Um, so what he's getting at here is it's, it's time to put some effort in to enter in while you can, because the time is coming when the door will be shut. And there will be many who will seek to enter, but it will be too late. You know, when the Lord returns, there will be a lot of people who will suddenly realize that they, they needed to get baptized to fill with the Holy Spirit. It will be too late. So the time, of course, as the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. So we must put in that effort to enter in and to obtain that promise. And uh, as he says, there's, uh, there's only going to be few that really do that while they've got the chance. 